3. We're going to look at the whole of Hosea chapter 3, which is just five verses. We're going to be in Hosea this week, and we're going to be in Hosea next week. And then for the month of October, we're going to take a break from Hosea. uh, And we're, as we come up to the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, as uh, we mark it by the nailing of the 95 Thesis by Martin Luther, we're going to spend uh, the month of October looking at the uh, tenets of the Reformation, the solas of the Reformation, uh, Scripture alone, faith alone, in, in Christ alone, by his grace alone, for the glory of God alone. And so we'll, we'll stop for the month of October in Hosea, and then we'll pick it back up after. Uh, but today we're going to look at Hosea chapter 3. Uh, Hosea chapter 3 kind of brings this first section of Hosea to an end uh, as we move into chapter 4 uh, next week. Uh, this is the word of the Lord from Hosea. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man. And is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and a homer and a lethek of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell in many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. It's hard... Uh, when you're talking about this beginning part of Hosea, to avoid making comparison to relationships, either to friendships or marriages, uh, because we all are dealing in relationships. And at its heart, the beginning part of the book of Hosea is about a relationship uh, between this man and wife. And we deal on a daily basis with relationships. We deal with those relationships which are most close to us. Our relationship to God, our relationship to our spouses and uh, other family members. Our relationship with close friends. We also, on a daily basis, uh, are dealing with those relationships that are not so close to us. Maybe those friends that are on the outside of our friend circles that we just kind of know. Maybe people we work with, even down to those uh, happenstance uh, interactions we have through the course of the week. If you're at Publix or a restaurant, and those are relationships. You're uh, communicating with them and you're affecting them with your words and with your actions and vice versa. Relationships uh, are such a tenuous, ever-moving Thing And the reality is that through the course of our lives, it's our relationships that tend to cause us to bring us to our lowest points, aren't they? Or also to bring us to our highest highs. And we tend to think of that as those being closest to us, and that's not always the case. Sometimes a harsh word from a stranger can ruin our day. Sometimes a kind word from a stranger can ruin our day. But the undeniable thing is... That our relationships deeply affect us. They can be a source of great comfort. Or they can cut us 
to the core. We, we don't have to go any further than this body right here to understand that, right? I'm sure we've had people among us who have both lifted us and hurt us with, even if they haven't known it. Because it's true for all of us, our relationships affect us, they affect others. And this is really what we've been considering up to this point in the book of Hosea. Hosea and his relationship with his wife is deeply affecting and impacting both of them. And the correlation, the analogy, the opposite is true with the nation of of Israel and with God. The nation's indifference to God and it's going after false idols, has deeply affected the relationship. What they have done matters. Just like we know what we do matters. We know this in our relationships. I know this with my wife. If I come home and speak kindly to my wife, it's going to lift her up. But if I respond to her indifference or even with harsh words, it's going to tear her down. This is true across the board. As we come to chapter 3, we see a short chapter. And it really is kind of concluding in the book of Hosea, the analogy of Hosea's family and the people of God. It almost acts as this bookend We saw at the beginning of the the book, it said, go and take for you a wife. And again, he's saying, go here and take again for yourself a wife. He needs to reacquire Gomer. Hosea again plays this symbolic role for his audience. He is to go to this wayward wife as God goes to wayward Israel. And so as we come to our text this morning, we're going to see three things. The price of redemption, the sacrifice of redemption, and the author of redemption. The price of redemption, the sacrifice of redemption, and the author of redemption. Let's begin by looking at the price of redemption. As we begin in chapter 3, and as we go through chapter 3, as we've said, we're going to see, we're going to take up again the matter of Hosea and his family. And as we get into this, we see again, he says, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man. Very specifically, she is called here an adulteress. Look, he says to Hosea, you know her adulterous status, I know her adulterous status, but I want you to go to her. And Hosea obeys the divine command. He's to go and he's to, in essence, reacquire her. Go again. That's what that is here. Reacquire this woman again. She has violated the marriage commitment. She has violated the relationship in the worst possible way. So much so that in Israel, it was an offense that was punishable by death. Go to her again. 
The reality is that though it was punishable by death, it was not inevitable. It really depended on the husband and his petition to the community. How would the husband respond to this wayward wife? And again, it's not really about Gomer and it's not really about Hosea. It's about God and his people, the people who have gone after these false gods. And in reality, it's the same thing. It's a sin that is punishable by judgment. But how will God go to his wayward people? Those who have embraced these idols, who have turned to them and turned away from God. That's what it says here. They turned to other gods. They've embraced them. They have followed after them. They have broken the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Punishable by death. And only God can change this outcome. Before we move on, we'll consider just for a moment. Uh, It says they loved other gods and they loved raisin cakes. That means, just so you know, if you like raisin cakes, it's over. It's it's a punishable by death. No, that's not exactly what that is. The reality is that, as it says here, they have loved other gods and loved raisin cakes. Um, it's not exactly clear what's being meant here. Um, it's kind of a hard thing. There's not a lot of places where we see uh, that are analogous to this. Uh, it's obvious that it is a form of judgment. It is being used here as a position of judgment. Uh, we can go to Jeremiah, and in Jeremiah we see uh, that there were certain types of pastries, particularly these ones intended to honor uh, what was called the Queen of Heaven. Uh, some suggest that the, this is meant here as an, kind of an aphrodisiac. Uh, the reality is that we don't know exactly what Hosea meant here by loving raisin cakes. What we do know is that, that whatever it was a symbol of uh, was a symbol that brought judgment upon them. It was used in service to these idols and these false gods. And so Hosea is commanded to go to Gomer, who has gone after other things, and to reacquire her. And this is not just a like, hey, go and grab her and bring her home. He has to go pay for her. It says 15 pieces of silver, and then it says uh, there's some measurements here that are not exactly clear. A homer and a, a lethic of barley. One commentator said, uh, there's some evidence that we can say this is probably about worth another 15 pieces of silver, uh, which, if this is true, makes good sense for us because the total then would have been 30 pieces of silver. Ever heard that number before in the Bible? 30 pieces of silver is, in the Old Testament, the slave price. If you were going to go buy a slave, it would have been 30 pieces of silver. Uh, Interestingly enough, also the uh, amount of money that Judas took to sell out Jesus. The slave price. Now, I am telling you as I say this, that's some speculation in that. But I think it also makes good sense for us, and it's speculation because we don't know the exact price of a homer or a lethic. But it makes sense because he's going and reacquiring reacquiring her. She has sold herself uh, to these other men 
and he is paying the price to bring her home. He is freeing her from whatever obligation, whatever indebtedness she has acquired for herself. Now, I think we need to stop at this moment, and we have to consider something. Hosea and Gomer were real real people. So let's take and step back for a moment, because it's easy to talk about this kind of story in the ethereal, oh, it's just a story. But think about Hosea. He's going out into the community. He's going to wherever... uh, Gomer is or wherever Gomer's person who she owes this to he brings the money he says I I want my wife back here's what she is owed you're owed for her and then he takes his wife It, it really is this beautiful thing because he goes and redeems his wife from her situation This is his wife. They've had children together. They're in this relationship together. And what Hosea does for Gomer is overwhelming. He goes to her. She doesn't deserve for him to come to her. But he comes and he pays the money that she may be returned. And we're tempted to go, well, Gomer doesn't really deserve that does she no she absolutely doesn't oh and by the way you're Gomer (laughs) Uh, we looked at this as we began to look, look at the book of Hosea and we talked about how we stand in the place of Gomer don't we we have left God we have gone out and after the things of this world we've acquired for ourselves a debt that could not be paid And this is where Jesus comes to us. And Jesus comes and I says, I know that Daniel has owed a debt. And I'm going to come and pay it. And now he's mine. And he comes and says, I know Alan has acquired a debt. And I'm going to pay it. And now he's mine. And I'm going to take him home. He comes to us in our sinfulness. And he buys us back. How does he do this? Because for Jesus, it wasn't 30 pieces of silver, was it? It wasn't as if he just came and laid something that we deem as valuable on the table. Now, he did come and lay something very valuable on the table, didn't he? He pays it through his life, through his death. And through the resurrection. So that you and I can be restored to our husband. Who is Jesus. Don't forget you are the bride of Christ if you are in him. And he has purchased you for himself. Jesus is the price of redemption. But we see that in response to that being redeemed, there is a sacrifice of redemption. Now, 
What I don't mean here, and it could become confusing, is, is that uh, Jesus sacrificed something, and he did. There's a sacrifice in his pain, but there's also a response that we must give to that redemption. Hosea, for Gomer, defines what now will be for her. You will dwell as mine for many days, and you shall not play the whore or belong to another man. And so will I also be to you. Now that's a little bit confusing as he says, so I also be to you here. Uh, because in essence, what he's saying is, look, for a time, you're not going to be doing the things you are doing. And I'm also not going to be this way with you either. There's going to be a lack of intimate relations between uh, Hosea and his wife. Literally, we could read it like this. You will refrain from the activities outside of the marriage. And I will refrain from intimate relationships with you. And this makes sense with what comes with following. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. There is going to be a time in Israel's life where they're going to do without the trappings of government and religion. In essence is what it's saying. You're not going to have kings or princes. And you're not going to have the things that are needed for the sacrifice in the temple. There is going to be this, and, and the, the reason for this is because, aside from, in a second here, Hosea is going to mention David, but all throughout the rest of the book of Hosea, Hosea does not speak favorably of kings or princes in Israel. And there's a reason for this. They were very corrupt. Not only that, Israel had taken the temple sacrifices and they had perverted them by adding... Canaanite practices to false gods into the worship. So Hosea doesn't come to Homer and say uh, that the marital relationships, relationship is bad. What he's saying is because you have perverted this, we are going to have a time of separation for purification. And this is the same for Israel. Israel, like Gomer, will cease to play the harlot. What she had done, what Gomer had done, had kept the marriage from being healthy. And Israel, in the same way, is being denied what they need to function properly because the things that made the relationship work, they had corrupted. So they will do without these for a time. He talks about these things, the pillars, the ephod, and the teraphim, which, is, which goes with it. He says, you will not have these things any longer, not for a time at least. As we have been redeemed, we must understand that we must as well give something up. We don't get to continue going on living as we have before. For Gomer, it was that she was going to live through a time of celibacy. For Israel, it meant that they were going through a time of withdrawal. But we must give up our former life as well. What are we to be giving up? We're to be giving up the trappings 
of our former lifestyle? What are the things we have bowed to? What are the things that we have worshipped? What are the things that we have cherished in our hearts more than God? And this looks differently nuanced for each of us, right? There are different things that each of us in our hearts values and places above God. But, But the reality is at the bottom of it all, what we're doing is placing value in the created over the creator. So some of us will give up the love of money and things because that's what consumed us. The acquisition of possessions. Some of us are just consumed with power and position and we give up this power. And Some of us just fill in the blank. No matter what our idols Each of us have idols and we must give them up. We must sacrifice them because that is the old lifestyle. Understanding that there's nothing in this world that can save us. No government, no thing, no power, no position, nothing. There's no religious practice that can redeem us. Any of it. And we often look at these things and we place them up there as this is what I need and when I have a obtain this it'll all be okay but they're really empty there's no hope in them and we have to give them up there's nothing in this world that can save us we must look holy to Christ for our redemption giving up all else placing our faith in him alone I love this word that is being used at the beginning of verse 5 afterward Because what it's basically saying is after this time, after this time of giving up and returning to this relationship, afterwards something's going to happen. The children of Israel shall return and see the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and his goodness In the latter days. Really we see here. uh, The conclusion of the events. uh, Between Hosea and Gomer. And and we're going to go on. uh, Throughout the rest of this. this Book. But really from here on out. It's going to be this call and response. Between uh, the Lord and Israel. After a period of time. There's going to be a restoration. going to happen in later days where even as we've already seen in Hosea they will name for themselves the Davidic king and it's not that they're going to have David as their king they're going to have the perfect Davidic king Israel's going to turn in awe before the Lord they're going to present themselves to the Lord in his goodness Israel's future in the end, depends on the Lord and His goodness. Not on Israel's own ability to come. Not on Israel's ability to make themselves better. Not on Israel's ability to restore the relationship. Yahweh will come and declare that He loves them freely, even though they turn to other deities. And at the end of the day, we too need to be reminded of the author 
of our redemption. Because it's not that we present ourselves to God. Look what I've done to make myself pure for you. This is not what it's about. Israel has had and will have corrupt kings and princesses, princes. But there is a king that is coming, this Davidic king. And what we understand is that king has now come. That king is Jesus Christ himself. He is the one who has made redemption for his people. Christ has come. He has purchased for us redemption. He has come in our sin and in our rebellion. And he has love for himself a bride. He is redeemed for himself a bride. This is the call for us as well to come and see a husband who has loved us. Women, I know that you can testify. You don't have to today. But you have had husbands who have not always loved you well, haven't you? But in Christ Jesus, we have a husband who loves us perfectly. He comes as our king. He purchases for us redemption. Even in our sin and rebellion, he loves us. Come and see a husband who has loved you. Jesus, who has entered into relationship with us, who came to us even while we were at that place, living adulterously. And so we come in faith and repentance. We love Christ. We obey him in faith. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the price of redemption, the price of redemption is costly. But guess what? You don't have to pay it. Because Jesus has paid it for you. The price of redemption was nothing less than the Son of God Himself. And He has come and redeemed you from your sins. And because of that, give up the former life that you have been living. Give it up because it is empty. There's nothing of value to be found in worshiping the things of this world. He has come and redeemed you from sin and death that you are now can live in this new and beautiful relationship with him. Because here's the reality, even as we consider relationships, every single earthly relationship will fail you. Every last one, even the best of our relationships at time will fail us, won't they? They'll hurt us. People will hurt us. They'll injure us. But in Christ, we are his dear and precious bride. He loves us with a deep and abiding love. So we are to live as a bride for our king. Because we have one who has redeemed us. It is Christ who is the author of our redemption. One of my favorite verses in all of, of the Bible is found in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, 
Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us closely, and let us run the, with, race, with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the reality as Jesus looked upon you. As he looked upon what the price of redemption would cost. It was a joy for him. For the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He despised the shame that came with it. And he has redeemed you out of death into life. And he is even now sitting as that Davidic king. Sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Reigning over us. So let us run. Let us run this race. Let us run to Jesus. Yesterday we had our pig picking here. And Josiah was so excited that Richard was coming. And when Richard got out of the car, he ran to him. With reckless abandon. With arms flailing. He said, I'm going to give him the biggest hug. (laughs) Monster hug, I think was the word. This is how we need to run to God. With reckless abandon, knowing that he has done this for us, run. Run to him and don't let your eyes turn to the left or right. Just run and lay hold of him. For he has purchased us with his blood. He has redeemed us to be in relationship with him. The book of Hosea, on its surface, is this ugly mess. And it really is when you get into it. And I, for any of you who have kids, I don't know if you've had to have conversations at home about what the pastor's been preaching about. Um, thankfully, my kids haven't really asked any questions. Cause not, yet. not yet. Now that I've said it, they probably will. But when you talk about Gomer and, and the things that she's been doing, it's ugly, isn't it? It's an ugly story. On the surface level, it is this ugly story of this broken marriage. And yet there's so much more going on there. And when you get into it, you see that really, in all of its ugliness, it's beautiful. As, As Hosea goes to his wife and restores her, not because she deserves it, but to show her love and more importantly to show to Israel and to us the love that God has for us. It's beautiful. Even in its ugliness. Which isn't that the nature of our relationship with God. It's beautiful even though we at times can make it ugly in our sinfulness. So let's run to Jesus. Let's run to him. In faith and repentance, and in love for the way he has restored 
our relationship to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the message of the gospel, for the message of Hosea. Lord, thank you that you come to us even when we don't deserve it. And you have restored to us, or restored us into be, to be in relationship with you. Would we not forget these facts, these wonderful truths? Would it dwell in our heart each and every day? We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let us stand as you are able.